Hi and welcome to The Final Whistle, your number one sports show on Spotify in Singapore. I'm Deepan. I'm Firdaus. A brilliant conversation we had with uh, Andre Moritz last week. Uh, I'm sure in weeks to come, he'll add quality to our league. Uh, but today, we've got one player who's been quality in our league even since the DPMM days. Uh, and over the last few years, he's shown you know what kind of a midfielder he is in our league. Firdaus, over to you to introduce our guest for today. All right, he's someone with the greatest hair in the league, a former league winner with Brunei DPMM, and now he's Tanjong Paga star. We have Blake Rishuto in the house. How are you, man? Very good. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm going to start off, you know, with that incredible result, the 2-0 win for Tanjung Paga over Albrex. I'll be honest, didn't give uh, Tanjung Paga any chance. But before the result, you you didn't expect to, to play in that game. Is that correct? Correct. Um, look, not many people actually gave us a chance. Uh, I was listening to a few of your podcasts as well, and uh, <laughs> some, some of the guys weren't giving us a chance at all. So... Um, Look, yeah, I arrived in Singapore um, uh, two weeks ago and I did the yo-yo the day before the game. So the club wasn't, you know, wanting to make that risk. But unfortunately, there we had a depleted squad and um, Faisal uh, had got positive to COVID a few hours before the game yep. and Alam Shah and Hazrin called me up and said look are you ready and I said yeah yeah I'm ready so it was good it was good to, to be out on the pitch again and with the boys so a great result as you know and we we, we just got to keep going on from here how, how tough is it to play in a, in a game like this where you know of course you're expecting the certain kind of quality from uh, Albrecht's side uh, a midfield battle for example you, know, you took some heavy blows during the game as well how tough was the game actually Look, it was uh, it was a very tough game, as you know. When you're versing Alberex, it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough game. Most likely, they're gonna keep the ball. You guys know that, and and our game plan, we knew that was going to happen, and so we just had to to fight and try and nip the ball in midfield, and and you know play play the counter attack as as Hazrin said and uh, Alam Shah. So I think we went to the we took the game plan quite well, and we went out and imp- implemented it. So you know, the hats off to all the lads that that actually um, put, put, did their their job on the pitch. Was there one game plan, or did the game plan change because of you know like the changes to the squad, like you said? I think that we're all well drilled at the moment, so we all kind of know our roles. So not many things were were changed. It was a kind of just a, I'll just come into the to the scene, and you know I know what I'm doing, and everyone else around me knows knows what's happening. So Alberix are a good side. We know that they keep the ball very well, and as you said, it was a tough game in midfield. So yeah, uh, of course, upcoming next is a game against Haugang United. Uh, you, of course, have watched them in action against the Lion City Sailors. Uh, what kind of a game are you expecting against Haugang? A, a different one as compared to Albrex, I assume? Yes, of course. Um, even though I think Haugang, they have quality all over the pitch, they'll be able to keep the ball a lot. Um, you know, the likes of, of, of the two Brazilian boys, you know, they're quite good. And obviously Kaishu, the, the foreigners, and even the, um, uh, the, the local boys, very good quality team. So we're not going to take them lightly. Obviously, a different, a totally different game to to Haugang, but um, I feel like we we can adapt to any other team, and and obviously the the will that we have, the spirit that Tanjong Paga have, I think we we will be able to get a result once again. You know, going confident 
I heard some of the guys not giving us once again a chance, <laughs> but but at Tanjung Paga we like that. So we, we like going in as the underdogs. So that's that's how we're gonna go with the podcast this season. We're just yeah. gonna bash Tanjung Paga, you, and you at know, the end of the season they're gonna win the league. You know the funny <laughs> thing was uh, after the uh, game against uh, Elbrex, then I went down to pitch side to talk to Hajin. Before I even approached him from far, he was already smiling, and I knew I was. Then <laughs> <laughs> I walked over to him. He was like, "Hmm, so you didn't give us a just, chance?" Uh, and uh, we just both laughed it off. But that's a good natured fight, you know. It's, it's as much as banter. Uh, I think Tanjung Paga are the kind of team that always rises to the occasion. Uh, let's now bring you back to the start of your football journey uh, in Australia. So I believe you were born in Sydney, is that correct? Correct, yes. Uh, how did football begin for you? When did you take up an interest in the sport? So my father being from Uruguay, obviously he has a, a passion for, for football. And my older brother started when uh, he's three years older than me and he started to play football at his year, as a young age and I used to go and watch him play and I used to say to mum that I want to play I want to play and I just ended up playing you know in a local club and I just kept playing and, and I fell in love with, with the sport and from then on I was with the football every day after school you know before school trying to you know play and then I started you know okay I'm quite good at this maybe I can I can go towards some sort of career playing football and that's when I started getting into the representative sides and then from then on you know I just uh was was falling in love with it and, and knew I could uh play at a, at a good level I guess well, was it hard to to choose football in a sense because I know uh correct me if I'm wrong in Australia a lot of them play rugby and other kinds of other forms of football I would I would say so was your decision an easy one I mean were you deviated to other sports at all um, I feel like with the background and the upbringing I had, there my mum's side, all her family are rugby. Like my my cousins have played rugby league professionally in 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 Australia, and but I feel like I just it wasn't an option for me because I, I love the sport so much with football. I just kind of identify myself as a footballer and that side of the things that I didn't really care about rugby league and. Uh, to be honest, I don't even watch much of rugby league or rugby union every now and then. So I just fell in love with the sport and, and that's what, what happened. So, yeah. As a young boy, were there uh, footballers, uh, professional footballers that you looked up to, I mean, based on watching from TV, who inspired you? Look, I always, um, when I was young, obviously, you know, I played different positions. So I used to love Diego Forlan. So Diego Forlan is for me one of the the greatest in you know in in football history in Uruguay especially. But then when I started identifying myself as a midfielder, I just used to watch Steven Gerrard a lot, and I used to even before games I used to watch Steven Gerrard goals. I used to watch Steven Gerrard plays just to get a little bit motivated. And I said, oh, this you know he he was one of the complete midfielders that I used to try and not emulate, but I I you know kind of look towards. Mm -hmm. Uh, just tell us a bit about your family background. I know you just mentioned a bit about how your dad was from Uruguay. Uh, so growing up, did you visit the country a lot? You know, how is your relationship with the country? So I never visited Uruguay. It's funny because um, when I was younger, um, Uruguay played Australia in 2006 for a World Cup qualification. Yes. And in that instance, I went to the stadium to watch the, the, second, the second leg, I think it was, yeah, second leg. And I was supporting Australia and I had never been to Uruguay in that stage. And it was, it was a good moment for Australia. It was the first time they made a world cup in, I can't remember how many years. And, um, so, but we did have some sort of, uh, 
connection with Uruguay with my dad, my grandparents who spoke Spanish. My grandparents were in Australia at that time. And some of the, the traditional cultures like barbecues or drinking mate and things like that. It's like a South American tea. So, but I'd never actually visited visited Uruguay at that time until I turned 19 to go to go play football over there. Funny that you mentioned uh, the drink mate. So uh, if you if you watch um, Blake in action or if you've been to the stadiums, you will always realize that uh, before games, he has this almost like a container thingy it's- that he brings <laughs> around. Uh, and it's the same ones that if you watch um, footballers from South America, you will always see them holding it. What What is it? Look, it's just a South American kind of tea. So it, the actual cup is called mate. The cup is called mate. It comes from a plant and you put kind of like tea leaves in it. So it's called the jerba and the, um, the thermos, which is like, you know, just a hot thermos, you put hot water and you just drink it like tea. So it's like if the tea leaves were in the cup instead of being an actual tea bag, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So, and we drink it and it's funny because uh, Rio Nishiguchi, Last year when we lived together, I was drinking, oh, I want to try, I want to try. So he started trying and now he loves it so much that sometimes I wake up in the morning and he's sitting in the lounge room drinking drinking mate <laughs> tea, a, a Japanese drinking this South American yeah. tea, you know. So it's, um yeah. It's Where do you pick it up from though? I mean, was my, it from? My dad. Ah. And my dad used to drink it a lot. But then when I went to play football in Uruguay, it kind of started that tradition and before games, in the change room at training, all the boys are, are, are drinking and, and sharing these teats. It's a social thing, but at the same time, it has a lot of health benefits as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's very, if you go to Uruguay, you'll see everybody walking around with with, with mate. And, wow. Uh, yeah. So so do you uh, bring it from, from where you were when you So when the cup I've bought, yeah, in Uruguay, and um, you can get online the, the actual leaves or the the, the, the herbs mm-hmm. that you you can get online, but um, sometimes I get my parents to send it because it's a lot cheaper to get my parents to send so it. So you've to got my... to charge Rio for, for some That's of it. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> You've got to hook us up too. I, I want to try it now. Yeah, like, he he yeah, made a very good advertisement right. there. I was yeah. thinking of bringing it tonight, but I, I completely forgot. Ah, you know, next time, man, next time. It, of course. Uh, so just want to touch on football in Australia, you know, so from playing, um, like you said, your representative teams, uh, how did you take it serious? You know, in a sense of you realize that you're good enough to play the sport. What was next? So when I turned 16, I played, which would be the third division, maybe MPL three at the moment. Um, sorry, MPL two. Uh, at 16, I debuted in 15. I debuted in first grade, and I was doing really well. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't having the chance to actually, they weren't giving me a, a look in in A-League or anything, not even the youth system of A-League because in that time they had youth um, teams, they weren't even giving me a look. And so I kept playing a couple of years. And then when I turned 18, I was still at, at that club, St. George. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, it's a big club there. I turned 18 and I said to my dad, I said, look, I, th- I feel like I'm good enough, but I'm just not getting the chance here in Australia. I, and I, I was working at a bank. So I saved up money and I said to dad, I said, I'm, I want to go to Uruguay. I didn't speak Spanish or anything, and I knew he could find some sort of trials over there. So that's when I said, like, okay, I can take this seriously. I'm quite good. I had a confidence that I could go to Uruguay and play over there, and and that's when I decided. So, so your dad had connections to, to the football community in Uruguay. Uruguay is a very small country, and if you want to get a contact, even if it's in politics, if you want to speak with the presidents, I'm pretty sure we can get you there. <laughs> so, so some sort of connection, you can get some sort of troll over there and there's a lot of clubs 
And yeah, at the end of the day, I ended up getting a few trials and and I did well. So it's that he had someone that a, f- uh, a cousin of his worked with somewhere and eventually got a trial. So yeah. So when you went over to Uruguay, was it Danubio FC that uh, you first uh, trained with? Yes. And was this where uh, Jimenez was at that time? Correct. Yeah. So, so how was that like? So when I arrived, actually, uh, Jose Jimenez, who's now at Atletico Madrid, he was in the I was training with reserves and he just got promoted from reserves to first grade so he was training with the first grade over there and he he was younger than me obviously and um he was I think he was there for six months and he actually signed the contract with Atletico to go so so yeah he was there and there's there's a lot of other players that I at Danubio at that time that were ex uh national league team players or even now they're playing in overseas so so it was a very good level it was it was different experience so yeah so do you get to sign a, a contract with them what happened there so Danubio I was there I went, the day they wanted to sign me I I was so happy you know I called my dad I was like oh I was training for about 6 uh, 3 months sorry train and then um the head of football decided not to sign me. I had like, I even did the medical and everything. And he said, look, he says, we're not going to sign you. We want to bring the young players up from the the youth system. So it was just kind of like a little bit of a shock because I was training there for three months. They knew what my idea was. And at the end of the day, I said, okay, fair enough. You know, it is what it is. It was, a bit, it was very sad, to be honest. I was, I was heartbroken. And then um, luckily my dad got in contact with one of his cousins and he said, look, I can get you a trial at Peñarol. And dad is a fan of Peñarol. My grandparents, they all love Peñarol. So when I arrived, when I got the trial, it was actually on my birthday. It turned 20 and it was my birthday, my first trial, 21. And I was a bit nervous. I said, you know, they gave me the jersey and, you know, my dad used to show me photos of this club and the fans and I'm there I am with the jersey and I looked in my mirror I said, this is unbelievable. Like, I'm going to actually train here, you know. Mm. So then, um, yeah, I started training and and uh, Paolo Montero, who was the Juventus uh, centre-back for a long time and national team captain of Uruguay, he's, he got the, the gig as coach and he ended up signing me as the reserves. So, yeah. So, I mean, of course, it's like almost like a dream come true for you, right? What, what was the, the level like in training or or even yeah, even in training and in the players that you were around? To be honest, the level, it was a very high level of training, players, coaching staff, facility-wise. It was just, it was just different level, you know? We had um, now who's currently at Cagliari, Nathan, Nathan Nandes. Ah. So he, me and him were together in the he's midfield. He's part of the national team as well. Yeah, yeah. so he plays the national team. So he, he was, um, he's actually... I don't know if he's going to go to Juventus or Inter. So me and him were in the midfield together. So players like him, you, you know, it was just it was just a, it was incredible to be to be with and other players that have played in Italy and and the times that I got to train with uh, first grade with Zalajeta who played at Juventus, um, Carlos Faldez. There's a lot of players there that 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 have had a good career. So the level was very high, and with the coaching it was just it was just different as i said it's just a different level and they train every single day from the age of 13 these kids you know so from the every single day they're training every single day from the age of such a young age in the youth systems mm-hmm. that's why i think they're so successful mm-hmm. and, and to get game time of course uh, from what i understand uh, you took up a loan move to the canadian soccer club which was a second division site uh, in uruguay uh, what what was the difference like in the level? But did you enjoy the stint? 
So that there's a big difference level. Um, there, there is a difference, but more facilities, uh, training facilities, the field stadiums. There's a big difference, especially even between Peñarol and other clubs that are in actually first division. So Peñarol and Nacional are uh, the two big clubs. And then there's Danubio, Defensor, and things like that. And their, their facility-wise, everything is good. But then after that, it's not as strong or, you know, or as, as good, the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And going to Canadian was, was an, an eye-opener, but getting game time in the second division of Uruguay was second to none, and I learned a lot. And Almost got promoted, no? We missed out on the final, so we lost to Boston River in the playoff final. So I played about, I think I played about. There's, there's 30 games in that season. I think I played 28 or something along those lines. Or two games suspended or something like that. But <laughs> I ended up getting some good game time and, and and great experience playing with some good players that are now have kicked on and done well. So yeah. So so by this time, I understand that more Australians were taking notice in terms of. We've got one of our own, you know, doing well uh, in South America and all. Was this what prompted you to try your hand again in Australian football? So I was doing, yeah. Obviously being in, in even in any youth system in Peñarol, any sort of player, it's it's an eye-opener in, in Uruguay, let alone in Australia. So I scored a goal in reserves in the 90th minute against Danubio. After they let me go, I scored. And after that, on the streets of Uruguay, people were coming up to me, you wow. know, the the butcher was giving me free meat. He, said, you <laughs> he scored the goal. He says, yeah, have some meat. I said, oh, okay. So... <laughs> So that experiences like that, you, and then that's why you think, okay. And so then Australia, they started some articles started coming out and that's when I decided, okay, now it's time for me. You know, there's a bit of noise going on in, in Australia. I can Did you go miss back. home? No, I think I missed a bit my family, but the actual country, I was, I was enjoying uh, playing football in, 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 in Uruguay, you know, mm. I was living a dream and, but I thought it was when Sydney FC said, look, you've got a troll. I put two and two together. I said, Sydney FC, my hometown, the team that I follow, I go to the stadiums to watch. I might as well go on trial and see, see what happens. Was it a difficult decision? Because you're saying about your boy, I mean, two boyhood clubs essentially, because Peñarol, like you said, like your family, the whole family supports it. And it's one of the biggest clubs in South America, what, five Copa Libertadores titles. And you are actually there, like you're on the cusp of, I guess, breaking into the first team. But then here's another opportunity playing for your hometown club. Like weighing those options, was it a difficult one or was it like straightforward? To be honest, um, the the fact with Peñarol was they, at that stage, they had mentioned to me that they were thinking of me doing preseason with first grade. And then after that, they I didn't end up doing preseason with first grade. A new coach had came in and he said, look, he's going to just, he's not going to, have uh, a look at me and that he didn't want me on board. At that stage, it was kind of like, okay, Peñarol wasn't an option at that moment. I could have kept, I could have probably gone to another first division side in Uruguay and try to work my way back up to Peñarol. But when I uh, got the opportunity to Sydney FC, you can't, I don't think in that stage, I, I, my, my thought was I can't turn this down. Sydney FC trial, you know, they were the, they were the best team at the stage as well. Graham Arnold there. They they won the championship. So I always said, okay, this is this is for me. So yeah. So at that time, um, the trial, how how did it go? I mean, did you feel like you impressed enough to earn a, a stint with them? Personally, I didn't feel out of um out of place. Mm -hmm. uh, I did quite well. Um, even Graham Arnold and and all the 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 coaching staff 
they said, look, Blake, the only reason you're, you're, you're not a Sydney FC player is because um, Dimitrovic is coming back and there's a lot of midfielders, he said, but you could play in, in, in any other A-League club. It didn't happen. And to be honest, look, I don't have regrets or, you know, I don't look at be being salty or bitter. And it's part of my footballing journey, which which has brought me here today. So I cannot complain about that. Obviously, at the time, I was a little bit upset or whatever. But at, at this time, I'm, I'm happy to be here. And, and everything that's happened in, in my footballing career is what it was supposed to be. But as I said, like I, I definitely didn't feel out of place at all. And I, and I had a friendly against Bell Connor, which is a Canberra MPL side. And I came on and set up two and, and did well. So, you know, as I said, it, it, it's, it's a good feeling. And I, I, thought, I thought I did well enough to get a contract. But at the end of the day, football's opinion based and some people like you, some people don't. Mm. And of course, from there, uh, after the unsuccessful trial, uh, you did sign on with Rockdale City. Uh, and in the FFA Cup run, you, of course, became a cult hero for your site where <laughs> fans, uh, we, we saw a picture where fans were wearing wigs and supporting you and all. Uh, how, how good was that journey like for you? Rockdown was, the people, because MPO is considered semi-professional, mm. it's quite a high level though. There's a lot of A-League players or former or future A-League players that come from this league and there's a lot of good quality in that league and I was there for three years and I and it felt like home to me Rockdale was a great place and then as you said we did the 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 FFA Cup run and I got and we first and luckily we got we got Sydney FC in the cup at our home ground and there was more than 5,000 and yeah that was, I was going out to warm up and I looked to the left hand I think my brother organized it or someone organized it <laughs> and there's just all these afro wigs everywhere so you know it was, it was quite good but yeah, yeah. so did, yeah. Did you, how did it feel playing against Sydney though in, in that game we went up one nil and as I said uh now the the gap before the gap between MPL and A League was massive, mm. but now there's a lot of MPL teams beating the A League team. So just recently, RPL Leichhardt beat Melbourne Victory, if I'm not wrong, in the FFA Cup. Western and, Sydney lost oh, to Western MPL, Sydney. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, that's right. Western Sydney lost to 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 RPL Leichhardt, and against Sydney FC, we lost four two. We were up one nil, and so I feel like the the probably difference is that the 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 Sydney FC players they're full time players. Yeah. MPL players they all have jobs and they train three times a week. So if they had a if they had a full time environment, which is another topic to get a B league going, is what they're asking about a second division. I think the the gap would it would just be even. I yeah. think a lot of uh, lower A league clubs will find it hard to beat MPL clubs. So yeah. All right, uh, we are closing in on your stint in Singapore, which of course started with uh, Brunei DPMM in 2019. Uh, how did you get the opportunity? I mean, you were playing good level of football in Australia. I, I assume you would have still tried to get into the A-League. When did this call from DPMM come? So the I was rocked out finished and I, I think I got player of the year that year. Within three years, I was two, two years player of the year at the club. And I still wanted to play full-time. Even though I was full-time at Rockdale, the the title of, of semi-professional was like, oh, I just want to play professionally and I want to go abroad again. I want to live that. And I had a one agent got in contact with me and said, look, I can get you a trial in Brunei. I said, okay, DPMM. I never heard anything about Brunei. Mm. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And I said, okay, let's go, let's go for it. 
So I arrive and I was thinking I was going to train with the team, you know, maybe three or four players, but it was an open trial. There was 25 players, I think. So Foreigners? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So like a Royal Rumble almost. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that's how they, that's how they yeah, pick yeah, the foreigners. They do that. They do that in, wow. Yeah. So it was 11 v 11 nearly every day, <laughs> you know, and, um, Africans, Argentinians, English, obviously myself, Australian, uh, Belarusians, Andre, uh, Ukrainian. It was just, it was just, uh, it was an eye opener. And I said, oh, okay. So we went out 11 v 11. Um, and they could only pick three foreigners out wow. of 25. <laughs> so at the end of the day, I, I trained, I think there was a two week trial and I only could do one week because then I, I had, I had to go somewhere. And so after the week I did very well and they said okay like look we're gonna offer you a contract we want you to sign so it was yeah they are me Charlie Clough uh and Andre Varankov so in that year was it was a good year to be honest you guys yeah most likely would have followed it and and we got we were champions but it was it was it was a quality year so yeah so so the coach at the time was Adrian Pennock no yeah Adrian how, how was he how was he like to be honest, it was very good to to get an insight of, of a bit of a, of an English coach because I had never really in Australia had Australia, Uruguay, and South America. So it was it was good to see how an English coach worked and the coaching staff. And I really enjoyed it. And his time there was good. You know, he's a great guy, and I think he's he's a great manager. He very effective, and we we were super fit. We were super fit, gym work, running, everything. And at the end of the day, the tactic worked. And 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 I felt like that we were, every game we rocked up, we kind of felt like we were going to win. It was just some sort of mentality, that confidence that we could, okay, no one's going to break us down. Mm. And of course, that DBM side, if I'm not wrong, I think won the league by six points at least uh, in that season. Um, a, a really, really good side. But... I, I'm more interested to know how your life in Brunei was. I mean, I, I visited the country before uh, as part of a school trip years ago. Um, and I and I found it very, I wouldn't use the word strange, but it was very different compared to uh, uh, what we have here in Singapore. How was it like for you, I mean, to live there? And all, do, do you get to go out much? Or or did you enjoy that, that process of almost being uh, alone sometimes? Yeah, I was, it was a very relaxed place, you know. There's not much, there's not much happening, but, I enjoyed my time there. Uh, sometimes you get a little bit lonely and you mm. think, oh, what, what can I do? Here in here in Singapore, if you're feeling like that, you can go to Marina Bay and you go meet people and things like that. I kind of felt that in Brunei, it wasn't as such like that, but the country was lovely. The people were so warm and welcoming. Uh, even since we're the only professional football team or team there, everyone knew who you were. So you'd walk out and go to the shopping and everyone would be asking for photos and, and all those sort of things. So it was, it was good. It was, it was a great year and, and I enjoyed the beaches there were nice and some of the nice places to go. So, um, I can't complain. As you said, it, it was different to meet people and a bit of, uh, entertainment. It was funny when I first arrived, the, the driver for DPMM, he says, welcome to the fishbowl. I said, fishbowl? I said, Bruno has a fishbowl. I said, why? Is it no entertainment? So, you know, he, said, he says it himself. But you can find things to do. So, yeah. 
All right. Yeah, I can totally agree with that because for that season, uh, I was like the only one willing to go to Brunei to do commentary. <laughs> so whenever there were like DPMM games that season, like I was always there. And then like whenever like we drive up there, we we always get different drivers. Then we always kind of ask the same question like, hey, what's there to do? Then it's like, oh, no, nothing much, you know, just relax. So <laughs> like, oh, okay, sure. But but honestly, like the the atmosphere there at the stadium and around the grounds is totally different from the ones you see here in Singapore. Like, it is a fortress in itself because of the team. That's that's one. And the atmosphere in the stadium is all that. Everyone's just behind the team. Even if they are goal down or, you know, chasing a goal, they, they're always behind the team. You don't hear like booze or no, anything. Yeah. It's a very different feeling playing at home in Brunei to obviously here in Singapore. Mm-hmm. As you said, like the the, the fans as well, you, you could be down and, and they're always uh, encouraging, always encouraged. They won't even say a bad word about yeah. you or anything like that. So that's a positive, I guess. But um, but we felt like that that yeah the, the actual atmosphere being in that it's a nice stadium as well. Don't get me wrong, we felt that we we were unstoppable there. So yeah, I, I remember at that time um, after the season, you you were featured in the team of the year um for that season. So of course you know a a, a really really good play in the league, but you had an opportunity to to take up some form of an opportunity in in Spanish football uh, after that season. Was that true? And also. Uh, did you have a chance to stay on with DPMM for further years? DPMM offered a contract and I decided not to take it. I was I was ambitious. I thought I had a great season. Um, champion, you know, scoring nine goals and obviously team of the year. I said, okay, I, I wanna I wanna try and and test myself in a different league. Nothing really popped up at that moment. There was something in Malaysia, if I remember, but um, it didn't suit me. I felt like, you know, I couldn't, I wanted something else. And then this opportunity, COVID struck, and then halfway through the year, I was keeping myself fit. This opportunity to go to third division Spain came across through my agent. And I signed the contract. And once again, due to visa and the visa was going to take a long time and the club said that they 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 couldn't wait the visa in australia the australian government was making it a bit hard i had to do a lot of process and it was going to take 6 to 8 weeks and the club said well the season starts in 3 we need you here and i said oh well and so at the end wow. of the day it didn't happen the club ended up getting promoted so they won that they were champions they got promoted so I, once again it wasn't meant to be. So. so, so from there, what happens? I mean, do you do you almost because I think at the time, uh, DPMM had decided they were not going to participate in the Singapore League. If I'm not wrong, I, if I'm getting my timelines correct. Yes. So, so then what? What were you? Were you almost without a club and and well, frantic? I was, I was out. I was out. I was without a club, but I was training with Rockdale at the time. Ah, so okay. I was in Australia just training with Rockdale, and then September. So that was like uh, nine months without football, just training at Rockdale. That was during COVID. Then in September, Alam Shah contacted me through WhatsApp and he said that he's part of Tanjong Paga and that he's willing to have me for for the two for 2020 2021 season. Mm-hmm. And I, I looked at my options and at that time I said, okay, and I listened to what he wanted to do as a coach and what the, the club was aiming for. And I said, oh, I like I like what they're thinking, uh, and so we we negotiated and we came to an agreement. And and to be honest, it's 
it's a good it's a, I'm happy that that I, I took that 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 opportunity because it's a club and a group of people staff members everything that it's it's a homely feeling you know so I can't I can't complain about that so but but of course when when they came calling of course you would have seen their previous results and 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 how they they were faring in the Singapore league right did they at all uh, make you consider it I reconsider saw, it rather well I saw that they they weren't doing too well but I watched I watched at the the back end a few games and I could see that and as a footballer you know the a club that just comes first like comes into the league after being so many years out they had to do a whole restructure and I spoke to both him and Desmond and they said that they had to organize a team within less than a month yep and for them to actually get the actual team on the park is 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 an uh a credit to to them and so to compete, it was a bit hard. So I think they had a process as well and they were going through it. And I said, okay, look, I'm happy to 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 be part of this challenge. I want to challenge myself. I want to I want to try and help and see what I can do. And it, it would be good for me to to do that. And as I said, last year, no one, no one really gave us a chance. Everyone thought we we're gonna come last once again. Mm-hmm. And I think we turned a few heads, which and now the team is is to be honest, I think it's a very strong team, you know. As in, people say that we lack quality, but I beg to differ. But I think you know, camaraderie, fight, everything like that is 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 one of the teams that I, I the best part of the team that I've been a part of. The change room is one of the best I've been a part of in a long time. Why why is that the case? Is it because um, there are so many senior figures there who know how to lead the changing room? What is it about Tanjung Paga that's special? To be honest, I, I try to think about it myself sometimes and I just don't know. But you go into in such a good feeling. Everyone wants to fight, you know. Even the new players that come in, they say, oh, I love this change room. Or they see us playing again. I was speaking to Bennett the other day and he says, when I versed you, he's like, I kind of enjoyed watching you guys stick together and fight and things like that. He says, we saw it from the outside and you guys mentioned it. Everyone mentions it. Yeah. You can see that. And what it feels like inside is exactly what you guys are seeing. Yeah. And, and it's funny that he said he doesn't know how to describe it because this exact same conversation I had with Shake uh, when I bumped into him uh, a few weeks back and I was saying, uh, this Tanjung Paga side, you seem so happy because, you know, Sha- Shakir, he, he seems really happy to be part of this team. And I was asking him, why is it? Then he was looking at me. I don't know, but I just feel very happy with them. <laughs> and this is exactly what you're saying. So uh, would you say the bulk of the credit should go to the coaching staff and the environment they have fostered? Of course, I think it's it works both ways. Obviously, that was one of the, probably the main decision that I, I came back to Tanjong Paga this time as well, if we're going to touch on that later. But um, I just pictured myself in this change room with the players again, with the coaching staff, and it just puts a smile on my face. We we wake up at I wake up at six a.m. to go to training, and it's not like oh I'm going to training at this time. It's like oh yes I'm going to training, so I get my bag and ready to go because you know it's going to be a good training. Even though we fight, we might you know the training's intense, but we're all in a good place. So I think as you said, the the, the coaching staff have a big play to do it because they they know the characters that they're going to put in the change room, which is very very important. And also the players, the players ad- adopt that idea and, and they integrate and there's no little groups or anything like that, which is very important. Uh, and of course, you you said it yourself, you know, at the end of the 2021 season, uh, there was a post put up by Tanjung Paga saying that, you know, uh, you were leaving the club. Uh, we had assumed that you were chasing other opportunities. But 
in a twist almost, uh, it was announced that you were actually going to play for the Jaguars this season. What happened in between? I mean, were you looking for another opportunity? Do you feel like uh, there was another chance for you out there? So... I don't, you guys obviously don't know this, but I was in, I was in Uruguay. I went to see family and friends and, and, um, train and, and enjoy my break over there. While I was over there, I was looking for opportunities. Not, 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 not in Uruguay really, but I was looking for opportunities, but, um, I actually signed in December with Persik Kadiri in Indonesia Oh, and pre-flight I got COVID and the club didn't want to wait for me to do quarantine. Ah. And so I had to do quarantine 14 days at that time in Uruguay. So I was about to go on the flight. They had my tickets and everything. I got I got COVID, so 14 days uh, quarantine in Uruguay. And I said, look, I've got to do 14 days quarantine here. That In that time, it wasn't like, oh, three days and you're out or mm-hmm. seven days and you're out. It was 14 days quarantine and then you can fly. And I told the club, I said, look, I've got 14 days. What can I do? They said, and then it was 10 days quarantine in Indonesia. So that's 24 days wow. without a player. And it was only a, a short contract. I think it was four months or something because the league was short till the end of March. And the club said, oh, we can't wait. So they just canceled the contract. Wow. And I said, okay. And in that instance, uh, Alung, I got in contact with Alung and he said to me and, and Hazrin, and they said, look, they're happy to have me on board. Um, and that I, I couldn't say no, to be honest. I just, as I said, I pictured myself in the change room with the boys, um, fighting on the field, having, you know, they're having my back. Everyone so I said, this, this is going to be great. So I'm, as I said, my footballing journey, there's a lot of uh, setbacks, but they end up being the best thing that ever happened to me. So this uh, COVID that I, you know, if we're not going present, now I'm here today at Tanzania and I'm really happy to be here and I'm I'm hoping for a good season with everyone. So I can't complain. You know what? Uh, Indonesia's loss is Singapore's gain, definitely for sure. <laughs> I just want to touch a bit on the footballing side of things. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, at Tanjung Paga, it seems like your role is a bit more withdrawn, more of an eight, sometimes even a six. As compared to a deep payment where we saw you really uh, more towards a ten role almost. Mm-hmm. Do do you do you have an, a preference for where you would like to play? Do you see yourself as a ten, an eight, or a six? I feel in DPMM there was uh, it was a different setup kind of things and different sort of players. So we had uh, Andre Varankov who who liked to hold the ball up and get in the box, and we had players crossing into the box. So I would get attack a lot and get into the box, and we had Azam Hendra who would dictate the play in the center of midfield. So I was playing more of a, as you said, an eight, more of a ten role. But I feel like here at Tanjong Paga we have uh, Rio Junior, that Mirko now that they can do that role probably better than me, and I feel like I can contribute to more of a six role or wherever I can help the team, I'm happy. If I have to go back to centre-back, I'm happy. I rocked out against Senior Center, played centre-back center in that FFA mm. Cup run and a couple of uh, games last season, I played centre-back. Wherever the, if the coach wants to put me in goal curve, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a crack. I'm, I'm just... <laughs> Zafan won't be too happy with yeah. that. <laughs> he can go left back. <laughs> but um, I'm just happy. I'm just happy doing my, my part for the team, mm. whether it means... 
playing the six, playing up front, whatever I have to do so that we can get the result. Yeah, that's 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 what's more important to me at the moment, where I can benefit the team the most. I, I ask this question because I remember at DPMM uh, in that season, the league winning season, uh, you scored nine goals and had two or three assists in that season. For, for a midfielder who has nine goals in a season, almost touching double figures, I would assume that his best position is in and around the, the, the goal. It means, like you said, uh, eight or, or ten. Do you almost feel like you can offer more at Tanjung Paga? I feel like uh, at the same time, uh, I had a really good season in, in, in DPMM. And I feel like most of my goals were maybe set pieces or headers. So, so I feel like, yeah, I can, I can get on the score sheet, but that let's not, I'm going to be totally honest that nine goals, I haven't had a nine goal season since that season or prior to that mm -hmm. season. So I felt that that season was, 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 I wouldn't say a one-off, but it was, things were working out really well. I was, um, the crosses were getting into the box and I knew as soon as the ball would go out wide, I'm jumping into the box. And here, um, look, last year I got two goals and five assists. And to be honest, I probably should have had more goals. I, I missed a few chances, but I feel like this year I'm I'm, I'm hoping to, to get on the score sheet a bit more often. And yeah, so yeah. There are four what, rounds cool. this season, so chances are you, you can get more goals. <laughs> I hope so. Four <laughs> rounds. So. Uh, hopefully he plays all four rounds. I'm not sure how many players will be left after two to three <laughs> rounds. This <laughs> guy, this guy. <laughs> uh, I just, before touching on the a bit more serious stuff on Singapore football as a whole, uh, there were a lot of questions from fans about your hair. Uh, in terms of your style, is this something that you decided to have or, or you know, some players like to be bald, some players like to have hair? What is the story? Yeah, because we saw like photos from your younger days. Like you, you didn't have hair like this. Like it just <laughs> evolved. Like what, what happened? Uh, it's funny. If I show you some photos. I was in Uruguay and I didn't have this long hair. And then I straightened my hair and it had like, like a sh chemically straightened hair. You see, <laughs> like what's going on? And then one day I just said, oh, I just let it grow and it started growing. And I said, oh, I'm going to keep it. And now see, I've been playing. I've just, I don't really look after. I don't even know, like, if I have to cut it. But now everyone knows me because of my hair. And I said, oh, I might as well keep it. So it's got really nothing to it. But now I enjoy it, I guess, everyone. So, yeah. Recognizable figure. I mean, mainly because of, of the hair as That's well, right? right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh. Uh, one thing is, um, I, I've had plans to have you on the show for some time now. But in a sense, it was accelerated because of a conversation uh, that we had after the, the, the first game uh, against uh, Elbrex. And I thought you brought up a very, very interesting point that... I, I sometimes, you know, totally forget, which is, um, so I follow Australian football a lot and I do know that, and also Blake uh, did attest to this, that when you when you are playing for a professional club in Australia or even an NPL club, you do have certain commitments off the field, uh, which means you, you have some form of program with schools, uh, with the community and whatnot. But from what I understand, I mean, with the exception of a few times I've seen uh, maybe the Lions D sellers do some outreach programs, it is not something that we see in Singapore football. Uh, and Blake, you said that you would love to do something like this, you know, try to, I don't know, have a training session with schools and whatnot. Why is it important to you that that you have that thing to do? Where you, you, you mentioned to me in our conversation where, you know, you train in the morning and all. And then after that, there is an opportunity for you to do something. Why, why is it important? I just feel like... Uh fan engagement and interaction with the the people that support us playing football that support our league is essential because if if it wasn't for them or wasn't for the, then there wouldn't be football really 
So you could see during COVID when, when there's no fans at the games and there's nothing, it, it's not the same feeling. So I feel like you see in Australia and all sorts of places, even in Uruguay, they're out, the players are out uh, getting getting that uh, connection with fans, with people that support the league. Don't get me wrong, from 2019 to now, the Singapore League has grown for me uh, level-wise, uh, marketing, everything has, has, it's, it's growing. And we, we can see that y you can tell, uh, Haris Harun has come back to the league, uh, Anu, Shakir Hamza, what, and they're all at, at, at good levels. It's not like they're, they're ready to retire. They're coming back good because they, they see something that, that is growing and, and Singapore league is growing. And I feel like that, you know, us as players that I've been in the league for now, this is going to be my, my third year in the league. We, we wanted to make it grow even more. We want to get, we, we, I see a lot of players, uh, uh, sorry, fans, Liverpool, Man United jerseys, things like that. <laughs> but you don't see them with a Lions City Sailors jersey or a Tanjung Paga jersey. And sometimes I go out for a coffee and I meet someone and they say, or an expat and they say, oh, what do you do here? I said, oh, I play football. And they're like, yeah, but what do you do for work? It's like, no, Ouch. no. I was like, no, but I play football. They're like, like a, there's a professional league in, in Singapore. So that kind of thing, you're like, oh, they, they don't know. You know, we know because we're we're inside the-, the We're in a bubble. We're yeah. in a bubble. We know what what's going on. We know that it's Tanjong uh, Paga versus Haogang this weekend and Geylang versus Lion City. We we all know that, but they don't even know that Lion City exists. They don't even know that we exist. So I think it's that us as players, we, we want them to know. We want people to, to see this league and be like, oh, it's a nice day to go out of the game. I went to watch Haogang Lion City and I enjoyed it so much. I said, oh, this is great. And I just we just, I just want people to, to know and get that kind of idea of that Singapore football is not a bad level. It's a good level. It's enjoyable. It's entertaining. Come and watch the games. And I'm happy to 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 probably go out and do things like that. So so you you mentioned to me, right, the 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 possibility of perhaps so you train in the morning from I don't know, eight to ten AM, for example, uh, and then you hit the gym or, or maybe some recovery session and that gives you Let's say you end everything football related at 12 p.m. There is still an opportunity for the later part of the day for you to engage in some form of programs with schools. Schools or some or podcast like this one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so for schools. So in Australia, that, does that happen? Yeah, so at Rockdale, we... Well, Sydney FC, I used to coach for Sydney FC and we did like clinics for schools and things like that. And they'd get all the play. Some of the players would come to the clinics and sign autographs for the, for the kids or they'll do a clinic for them. So Sydney FC do it quite well because I was part of the, like I was coaching a few academy, like helping out and things like that. And you'd get the, the Ninkovic's, you'd get all the players coming in and just maybe playing a, a little game with the young kids. And then they see him on the TV and they, or giving out tickets or something. Say, oh, you know, this is the guy that came to my school today. And and they'd go and watch. So it was, it's just that engagement that that kind of, um, you know, the, the kids or even people like, you know, so yeah. Yeah, so so this is the engagement that I've been talking about for some time, right? Where if, for example, a Blake goes to some secondary school uh, and then he trains, I don't know, just, just put it five kids. You know, that five kids will go home and say, today I trained with uh, this Afro guy, you know, his name is Blake. Uh, and then their parents will be like, hmm? 
And then these kids might want to go and watch him in action, in, in proper football action. And don't even say that, okay, they don't have to come down to stadium to watch him, but they could even flick a channel and want to watch Blake in action. So this is the kind of engagement that I've been talking about for a long time. But for some reason or another, and I don't want to assume, but we haven't had quite that uh, that form of engagement. We do it at very small scale. Sometimes they announce some tie-ups with secondary schools, but I think it needs to be grander a bigger large-scale thing where footballers, local and foreigners should uh, mingle with the community because even those five kids, they might tell their cousins, their families, you know, look, I train, show them pictures, show them autographs. We grow from there. And I think this is something that's lacking in our league. And maybe over the last few years, COVID could be the, the one of those issues where it's hard to arrange those things. But I do hope when we enter a uh, normalcy, that these kind of things can be in, uh, brought into the league as form of engagement. Uh, moving from there, uh, a fan ca- question that we had, which I thought was interesting, was that uh, they mentioned thoughts, your thoughts on how uh, your country, Uruguay, uh, with a population of only half of what Singapore has, can produce so many world-class, world-class players and have even been to the World Cup, while Singapore haven't quite been there yet. Uh, and of course, just for, for people who don't know, as of 2020, Uruguay had a 3.7 million population. Uh, Singapore's latest standing was, of course, 5.68 million. Your thoughts on this? So it's, it's a question that comes up a lot in Uruguay and also in other countries, and they the people just don't believe but how, how they can produce so many world-class players and keep going to World Cups and competing with such a small population. But if you go to Uruguay, you see that football is everywhere. It's it's just in their blood. There's young kids. Everyone is watching. Uruguay play and you think you're in a desert. There's no one out in the street. Everyone is watching watching the game. Everyone knows there's a game on. So I feel like and being being so only 3 million and being between Argentina and Brazil, which are powerhouse football countries, they've had to rise to that level. So as I said, you know, when I first arrived, I saw that youth teams from 12 years of age training every single day. Youth teams of Peñarol, 12, 13, 14, training every single day. So many footballing clubs in Montevideo and outside of Montevideo. But the, the fact, so they, they're getting that. And the fact that they, it's not a, it's a third world country and they use, as you, as I said, the, the, the fight, the, they call it garra, which is like the, the drive to win or, you know, that, that mentality being between Brazil and Argentina, which are just footballing powerhouse, they have to step up. So I feel like that is more of like, uh, you know, against adversity going and that's how they produce so many world-class players at Mm -hmm. the end of the day. But culturally, do you think there's a difference between like Uruguay? I mean, in terms of, in Singapore, people complain that perhaps one reason why we are not quite there in terms of football is because uh, we don't have the desire. I mean, it's not like in some other countries where if you make it in football, you know, you can really set yourself up for life. In Singapore, there is so many other things that you could possibly yeah, do. you think that's an issue? It's not a question of survival. Correct. In Uruguay, there's a lot of players that their idea is to get out of poverty. And football sometimes is that they is their only option and their parents will say everything and and you see there's a player now Darwin Nunez Benfica he's leading goal scorer of the Portuguese top league he's and he said that you know sometimes his mum would go without food so that he could go to training and all he wanted to do was buy her a house so he's gone and played for Benfica and now he can do that and he's from Peñarol as well right that's right Peñarol (laughs) as well so there's there's a lot of cases like that, that the Uruguayans are just so men that okay, this is football, this is my way that I can 
live live a life that that I want or that I can give to my parents and things like that. So that's why that drive going against the and just they think it's an escape, you know. So yeah. But do you, do you think that uh, our young players have that drive? I mean, you you work at Tanjung Pagar where there are a couple of young players coming through the ranks. Do you see that desire? What what do we lack? Uh, I see I see it in some. I do see it in some. Uh, I feel like obviously culturally it's not embedded in them, but I know that there's a lot of young boys that are, are driven, that are working hard, and they're really wanting to become uh to become prof- professionals and and as I as now in the league is growing, Lion City Sailors, they're doing things correct. Tanjung Paga, you know these the, these are opportunities for these young players to see. Or you see that uh, Haris Harun and uh, Anu and all the Shaki Hamza they go to Malaysia and they. So I think these boys can look at those players and be like, I I, I can be like them and and work hard and get to a league where 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 I can I can live off football where I can help my family and things like that which which I feel is important and it's and it's growing and you can see it now people getting idea if I play well if I keep working hard I could probably go and take that next level to Malaysia or I could take that next level to where I need to go and it's a credit to, to the players that have done it yeah Alam Shah went to Indonesia things like that and you can see that that the players now say okay there's an outlet I can go there and I feel like there's so many young boys that are good quality players as you said uh, Fatula Rashidi these players they they have the ability they have the drive that they can go on and do good things so so just about the quality right I just want to check um, it's easy for me to say Fatula is good and all but you've played at in Australia you've played in Uruguay how do our youngsters stack up in terms of the talent do you, do you feel our young boys have the ability, and not just in Tanjung Pagar, I mean, you've seen across the league. Do you think our young boys have the ability to play in an A-league? Do you think it's comparable? Uh, I feel like it's it's quite... Uh, it's a hard question to answer because I believe they can, just depending on, on how they adapt once they're there. But I feel like if you see Moresh, he played in the, the Singapore Premier League, for example. Okay, he was good in the Singapore Premier He's gone to the A-league and he's doing well. Uh, there's players that have come from the A League, and they haven't they haven't quite you know found their found their feet here in the Singapore Premier League. So, but doesn't mean they're not good players, or it doesn't mean that they can't play in the Singapore Premier League. I just feel like sometimes it's it's a question of adapting, and I think if they have the right mindset, these young lads definitely why 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 can't they you know they definitely can, and I feel like uh, at Tanjung Paga they they. They're doing the things correctly as in a club, as in coaching stuff, and they're molding them into that and having that mindset, okay, I can I can actually do things here and I could probably help my family. I could probably get to levels that I need to. So I just feel like um, it's going in the right direction, Singapore football and the young boys. That's what I think. So, yeah. Is, is it comparable at all what we have here in terms of uh, facilities and whatnot? To what you had at DPMM, I mean, what what was the structure in DPMM like? Do you think that, uh, in terms of professionalism, backroom support is similar to what clubs here have? I think so. Yeah, I think it's, there's not much far off with DPMM. Uh, the difference with DPMM, we had uh, the English coach mm. and English fitness coach. So they came with a lot of knowledge coming from England, a lot of products as in protein, BCAAs, things like that to try and enhance performance or you know get that edge and change the mindset of professional training and things like that 
it's happening in in Singapore at the moment. I'm not sure. I'm not in the in, inside of other clubs, but in Tanjung Paga, if you would compare Tanjung Paga with DPMM in that sort of thing, I don't think we're far off. I think where the, there's there's a lot of similarities. I wouldn't say one's worse. I wouldn't say one's better. There's just it, it's quite the same. So mm-hmm. yeah, fantastic. Uh, one last question before we go on to the rapid fire round is. Uh, what are your plans after this season? Have you thought about it? I think um, in terms of whether you will try again in the A-League, try again in Australian football, do you want to stay in the Singapore Premier League, go back to Australia to be a coach? What are the options you have or have you thought about it even? To be honest, I haven't actually thought about it. And now that you ask, I'm trying to think. But <laughs> at the moment, I'm happy focusing on Haogang on, on, on Sunday and hoping that we have a very good season with Tanjong Paga. And if that can happen, as I said, you know, I don't, uh, <laughs> I love waking up at 6am going to training. So if that could happen for another year after this, I'm not going to complain. A-League, uh, I, it's not like that I, okay, I want to, I want to have a cracker season and go to the A-League. I don't think that way. I'm just kind of trying to live in the present. If it happens, I'll analyze it. But at the moment, my life in Singapore is great, so I can't complain. Well well answered, I would say. <laughs> uh, moving on to the rapid fire round, five questions uh, that will require a quick answer from you. I'll start off with the first one. Who has been your toughest opponent thus far in the Singapore Premier League? One player. One player, toughest opponent? Uh, oh, that's a good question. Kyoga Nakamura. Kyoga Nakamura. Is it because of how good he is technically? On yeah, the ball? Technically, he's good. Okay. All right. Uh, how about best teammate in your career? Best teammate? I'd have to say Nathan Nandes. Who's, of course, playing in Syria. Huh? Yes. Uh, third question. What has been the biggest regret in your career? Biggest regret? To be honest, don't have any regrets. Uh, no, no regrets at all, to be honest. I'm, I'm happy where I am at this moment. So, no regrets, to be honest. Okay. All right, and one young player that you think has a great future ahead? At Tanjong Paga or yes. anywhere? Or Tanjong... maybe in the Singapore Premier League if you've seen someone. I think, uh, to be honest, at Tanjong Paga, I have to say Rashidi. Rashidi, who's, who's of course we've seen in a wing-back role, uh, but performed excellently in midfield uh, in the opening game. What, what do you think is his ceiling? Do you, do you feel like he's someone who can play in other Asian leagues? Of course, yeah. Rashidi not only is... For the problem with you is that I not a problem. The good thing about Rashidi is he's a young boy, but I don't that presence he has is is not of a young boy. He's for me. I even said to him the other day before the game. I said, "You're not a young boy anymore. I see you're training. You're a leader. Keep going that way. I go push and drive the boys because he's a leader now and he has that presence and he's no more of a young boy and he and he gives you that that confidence." He tells me where to go. Fatula, they tell me where to go now. And they say, Blake, go there, do this. You're not tracking back. You're not doing this. And I say, oh, good. You know, nice. at first I'm like, hey. But, you know, I enjoy that because that, they, they need that comp. They need that presence. So I think Rashidi, the, the, the good thing about him, he has that presence. And and yeah, and obviously Zafan, you know, his quality. So he's another young boy. But so, yeah. Okay, last question. Uh, what is your wish for Singapore football? To have full crowds, to be honest, to have full crowds and yeah, and for for people to to support to support the league, I feel like that as we as we mentioned before, the the it's a it's a sport that it's a worldwide sport that everyone loves, and I feel like the Singapore League 
is a great league. It just needs to be supported by fans and and needs to be put out there and for people to go to the games because I enjoy going to the games and you know I, every time there's a game at Jurong East, I live nearby. I I want to go and watch it. So I hope that that you know the fans can fill out the stadiums. You know, so yeah, that's about it. Blake, uh, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Uh, you've provided us with a lots of insights and a lot of fun conversations as well. Uh, wishing you the best for the season ahead, starting from a win. We hope that you know Tanjung Pagar will go on to achieve more <laughs> well, shock well, results. Well, I want to know your predictions. Uh, <laughs> actually, I don't want to hear it. I'll just talk to you after the game. <laughs> Thank you so much, Blake. Thanks, guys. Thank you.